We are in our series, our preaching series uh, in 1 Timothy, and you probably know this by now, but I'm just going to repeat it just one more time. 1 Timothy is a personal letter that Paul wrote to his spiritual son, Timothy, who is a young pastor leading a local church in this place called Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, uh, and he's doing this in the first century. So that's kind of the historical context of this letter. But we also know that this is not just a personal letter, but it's a letter for the church. Why? Because Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15 that he says, In case I delay, I want you to know that this letter is about how you ought to conduct yourselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, which is the pillar of truth. So these um, these instructions that I give you are instructions for the local church. That's something that he makes very clear to Timothy. And the first thing that he, he talks about in the opening chapter is the gospel. He says there are different teachers who are bringing different doctrines and different truth, leading people astray. But I want you to know that there's one gospel, one good news in Jesus Christ. And, and that's really the center of everything. Guard the gospel, protect the gospel, fight for the gospel you know, make the gospel the center of everything that you do. And we see that if we are a gospel-centered church, the first thing that we would do is actually pray for all people, not just for people within the church, but for all people. Why? Because the gospel tells us that we believe in a God who is worthy of all worship, who sent his son as a mediator for all people. And his heart, his desire is that all people will be saved and come to the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as a family, we pray for people, for salvation. We also follow God's design and order, embracing everything that he created for the church. We also make God the center of our worship. And so we had some hard conversations about um, what church is about and how God specifically designed the church. And today, we come to a passage that talks about the leadership within the church. Now, uh, a question that I often get, from, especially from our youth students, is this. Pastor James, um, I know you preach on Sundays. What do you do the rest of the week? Right? Because it seems like you don't really do anything else. Uh, and so this will be a good way to explain you know, what a pastor does. Um, and uh, even from my own experience, I remember when I was a teenager, I didn't know exactly what a pastor did. I just do know that I didn't grow up in a strong Christian family, and God, by his grace, placed godly men in my life, teachers, pastors, people I respect, people I could imitate and follow. And I know that I'm the man I am today because people faithfully walked this journey of the of Christian life before me, and I'm simply imitating their walk to pursue Christ. And so I think in one way, this is going to be super helpful for us because uh, it's going to give us a clear idea of what a pastor does. Also, it's going to be helpful because you know it's going to tell us what the church is supposed to do in response to this biblical leadership. So that's what we're going to tackle today. Look at verse 1. It says this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So this word overseer, it seems like a very ancient word. Uh, we don't really use this word a lot. So who is an overseer? If you read through the New Testament, you're going to notice that the word overseer is always connected to the word elder, which is also connected to the word shepherd, uh, which is also where we get the word pastor. The word pastor comes from the Latin word uh, that means shepherd. And so a pastor is a shepherd, and according to the New Testament, a pastor is a shepherd who is also an elder and also 
an overseer. Now, I know some denominations, some churches try to separate an elder and a pastor, someone who would rule and lead the church compared to someone who would teach the church. But the way that the Bible lays it out, the way that the New Testament church uh, operated, we see that it is very clear that the office of the overseer is basically the office of the pastor, which is the office of the elder. And we see this in 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. It says this, So I exhort the elders among you, Peter speaking to the, el- uh, the church, exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. So to the elders, Peter is telling, shepherd the flock of God. Be a shepherd to God's people that is among you exercising oversight. So you see in in these two verses, the Bible is is telling this group of people who are called elders to shepherd the flock of God, to exercise oversight over this group as God would have done so. And so that's the calling of a pastor. So even in my sermon today, I'm going to use these words interchangeably. I think the most common word to us is a pastor, so I'll allude to the word pastor a lot. But just know that a pastor is not something who is a dictator within the church. It's not something who gets to, someone who, who gets to decide what's right and what's wrong according to his own mind or his own thoughts or his own desires. It says that the church belongs to God, that the church is the flock of God. And the pastor, his responsibility is to simply oversee what belongs to God. His responsibility is to protect and lead the flock of God. Look at Titus 1, 5 and 7. It also says this, This is why I left you in in Crete, so that you might be put what reminded into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Paul tells Titus, appoint elders. But it says in verse 7, for an overseer, so elders are overseers as God's stewards. They must be above reproach. And if you compare the list of qualities that are listed here, you're going to notice that it is very similar to the qualities that you find in 1 Timothy 3. So again, an elder is an overseer, and his responsibility is to be a steward of God's work. In other words, a pastor is not the owner, he is a manager. Like when I worked at CVS, my first job, I didn't get to decide you know, how to stock all these items. I didn't decide the prices of everything. I followed orders. You know, I had a manager who told me how to do things, and that manager followed instructions from the owner. And so a pastor does not lead a church on his own authority. A pastor leads the church under the authority of God and under the authority of Christ. So the first point I want to make, if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do so, is this. Pastors are called to lead the church under the authority of Christ. Pastors are called to lead the church under the authority of Christ. Pastors are not special people. Pastors are not people who are more excellent and better than other people. The Roman Catholic Church might believe that Mary is a special human being. The Pope is a special human being. But within the local church, within the Bible, what we see is everyone is equal before God. No one is higher than the other person. We only have one head. One Lord, and that is Jesus Christ. Under this Lordship, we are operating in different roles, in different functions, in different capacities. And so know that pastors are called to lead the local church under the authority of Christ. They don't get to do whatever they want to do. Number two, pastors are called to display the character of Christ. 
Pastors are called to display the characters of Christ. In today's passage, you have a long list of qualifications uh, for a pastor or an overseer. And if you read through these qualifications, you are going to realize two things. Number one, you are going to realize that what the Bible requires of a leader is very different from what our society requires of a leader. For example, notice what's not in this list. Age is not in this list. In our society, if you are older, if you have more experience, you are respected and you have a position of power. But not once in this list does the Bible mention that, that age is a factor. In fact, Timothy is a young pastor leading a church in Ephesus, a big-name church, a church that Paul himself pastored for three years. And so age is not a factor when it comes to biblical leadership. We also see that education, intelligence is not a factor here. In our society, what school you graduated from, your major, your GPA, all those different things, they are important, but not for God. For God, education, intelligence is secondary. That is not something that is mentioned in this list. Another thing that the passage does not say is a pastor needs to be a natural leader, has to be an extrovert, or someone who has an outgoing personality that can captivate other people. The one thing that stands out from this list is this. Here's the key word, character. Out of all the different things, what the Bible is asking when, when, when it comes to the qualification of a pastor is a man of character. Character is so important. And that is so countercultural, right? Because in our society, when we think about leaders, we, we think about people who get their job done. We care about people getting their job done, and we don't really care about who they are or what they say, or how they live your lives. Well, God says it is important who you are, how you live your life. It's not just the message that you say. It's not just the work that you do. Who you are matters. Your character matters because you are a reflection of who Jesus is. And so 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 1-7 through 7, is all about the character that we ought to display in Jesus Christ. And also notice in this list, you might think, well, pastors are special human beings who so have to live up to this standard of holiness. But if you work through this passage, you will quickly notice that other than two things, everything in this list are required of all believers. In different places in the New Testament, everything on this list is actually required of all believers. For example, in verse 3, it says a pastor should not be a drunkard. Well, it says in Ephesians 5.18 that every Christian should not get drunk on wine. Instead, should be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 3, a pastor should be gentle. But does that mean everyone else can be harsh and violent? No, it doesn't mean that. You know, Romans uh, 13 talks about how we should know how to manage our anger. The pastor is also supposed to manage his own household. It says in verse 5, does it mean that every other Christian uh, can just leave their household alone and, 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 and just kind of you know, let it run loose? No. All these different qualifications, if you work through it, you're going to realize that what the Bible is asking of a pastor is not a different standard of holiness. It's the same standard of holiness that is required of every believer. What the Bible is asking for a pastor to do is to be an example a role model for what it looks like to be a Christian, for what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. A pastor is not called to a drastically different standard of holiness. He's called to the same high standard of holiness that every believer is called to, and that is the standard of Christ. And the pastor is called to be an example for other believers. 
And so let's look at some of these qualities, uh, knowing that, knowing that character is so important. It says in verse 2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. He should be free from any type of, of, of questioning uh, or any type of rebuke. Uh, people in general, when they think about this person, they shouldn't have questions about this person's character. It says the husband of one wife. Now this, this can be tricky. There's a lot of debates over this phrase. Some denominations would say that, well, that this means that you have to be married if you want to be a pastor. Some denominations would say that this means that you can't go through a divorce and be a pastor. But what I think this is saying is simply that you have to be a one-woman type of guy, that you can't be a polygamist. The reason why I say this is because down on this list, you have this command where pastors or overseers, they have to manage their household well, that they should teach their children to be submissive to them. What that means then, if you apply the same principle, that means then to be a pastor, you have to have children, you have to wait for the children to grow. And so I think what the Bible is saying is he's talking, it's talking about a specific quality of a pastor, not talking about the marriage status. But I think what it's talking about is that a pastor, if he's single, then he should wait and live out his singlehood according to 1 Corinthians 7, as Paul would. And then if he's married, then he ought to live out the reality of the gospel according to Ephesians 5, loving his wife sacrificially. Now, Paul himself was a single man. Paul himself was never married. And he says actually in 1 Corinthians 7 that his singleness is a gift from God. Now, so anyone who's single, you can say amen to that. Your singleness is a gift from God. He actually says if you can, you should live single. And he says this because he says, your heart is not divided when you are single. When you get married, your heart is distracted with your wife and with your children. And he says that I would rather remain single because I want to faithfully commit and complete the task that God has given to me. But also know that marriage is a gift too. And so if your gifting is not in singleness, and you are burning with passion, and you are burning with love, then go get married and still remain faithful to the Lord. Live out your salvation within the context of the Christian family, loving your wife, uh, living out the, the convictions by leading your children. And so the standard is very clear. What, what the Bible is saying is whether you are single or married, this is a specific calling for you to live for the glory of God. Now just think about it though. In the Roman society in the first century, people who were ordinary did not have multiple wives. People who were considered the elite, the rulers, those were the people who had multiple wives. And what the Bible is saying here is very, very clear. The Bible is saying the standard of authority leadership which Christ gives to the local church is very different from this world. The world will say people who have different status, people who have the wealth, the women, Those people are the people who should be in charge and should be in power. But the Bible says, no, the people who are faithful to the Lord, those are the people who should be faithfully leading the body of Christ. So an elder, a pastor, overseer is called to be a husband of one wife. And the next couple of things talk about his character, especially when it comes to self-control. Sober-minded, which means that he has to clear think. He needs clear thinking, um, that his heart has to be um, tuned in with God. Self-control, meaning that this person is not controlled by addiction, whether it's alcohol, anger, different things. I think in modern days, maybe gambling, games, sports, entertainment, maybe internet, pornography, all these different things, even food. What the Bible is saying is uh, 
you shouldn't be possessed by these things because a pastor first is a servant of the Lord. And so if you serve the Lord and your allegiance belongs to the Lord, then don't serve anything else in this world. Don't be, don't be captured by anything else. Be bondaged to or yoked to anything else. Be self-controlled. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. We see in verse 3 also, don't be a lover of money. Now, we see a lot of pastors make a lot of money, uh, especially the celebrity pastors. But one thing is very clear. The Bible is not necessarily against wealth in general, but I think what the Bible is saying is this. A pastor needs contentment when it comes to financial issues. Whether he is rich or poor, whether he is in, in, in good or a bad situation, he needs to learn how to be content in the Lord. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He says that you should find your contentment not in the riches of this world, but in the riches of Christ. Why is this so important? If you are a pastor and you are kind of a lover of money and you move according to the money, then you're going to make decisions based on money. Like, you're, you're going to be swaying towards money. But if you find contentment in Jesus Christ, then money is not going to speak to you. You're going to speak the words of God with conviction, with clarity. So in different ways, the Bible tells that a pastor should display different characteristics of Christ. So it's not just the message that the pastor shares. It's the life that the pastor lives that's important for the local church. Number three, pastors are called to care for God's church. Pastors are called to care for God's church. Look at verse 4. It says this, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for church, God's church? And this is a very simple principle. We see this in the parable of the talents. You can't be faithful with much if you're not faithful with few. What the Bible is saying is in order for you to manage the family of God, you first need to manage your own family. That's the specific calling. And notice the connection between the, the husband or the father with the, the elder or the overseer. There's a specific calling to lead the family. However, notice that although the children are supposed to submit to this leadership, it says in verse 5, the leadership that the Bible is talking about is not leadership through authority, it's leadership through serving. He says, how can he take care of God's church? So the way that you manage your household is not just by setting rules and, 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 and putting laws in front of your, your children and, and in front of your wife. What it's saying is the way that you lead is by caring for your church, by, by caring for the people that God has entrusted you with. You shepherd these people you, you take care of their needs. You lead them to green pastures. You are protecting them from any, any danger. It says in 1 Peter 5.2, shepherd the flock of God. That's what a command that's given to the elders. Acts 20, I love this verse. It says this, Paul speaking to the elders in Ephesus, it says this, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So God says, more than anything, I love the local church. I love it because Jesus died on the cross for it. That's how the church was born. It was through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God says, I love the church. The church is, is my bride. And it also says that the pastor, the overseer, ought to lead all the flock, not just some of the flock, but pay careful attention to all of 
the flock. Care for the church of God. That's why I think in verse 2, it talks about hospitable, hospitality. This is because, you know, a pastor is not just someone who loves books. A pastor is not just someone who loves to read and has different ideas about theological issues. But a pastor is someone who ought to love people. The pastors ought to be someone who cares for people because if you don't care for people and you're trying to communicate the truth, that truth is never going to penetrate the hearts of people. So have love for the people within the church just like Christ loves the local church. That's the call of the pastor. The pastor is called to love the body of Christ, God's church. And lastly, pastors are called to teach God's word. Pastors are called to teach God's word. This is the one thing that's unique about this list. Everything else other than not being a recent, recent convert, uh, that applies to every Christian. This specific one, to be able to teach that word in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, is something that's unique to a pastor or an elder or an overseer. And all throughout the New Testament, the authority of the pastor is linked to his ability to preach and teach God's word. Why? Because we believe that God's word has final authority. God's word is not just a good opinion. It's authoritative. It has power. It's something that we should appreciate and also something that we ought to obey. And so what I'm saying to you is this. If you see myself just talking about my life for about 20 minutes on a given Sunday, most likely you have to rebuke me. You have to uh, confront me. Why? Because you gathered here not to hear my own experience or my own thoughts. You gathered here for the word of God. I'm just a mere human being. I'm just limited in my knowledge. But I believe that the word of God is perfect. It is true. It is worthy of our attention and our devotion and our obedience. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it talks about how all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction. It makes one complete for every good work. So the word of God is what does the work. I'm simply a messenger. And so if I'm not relaying the message, then you have to confront me. You have to speak up and say, we need more of God's word, not your own word. The pastor is called to faithfully teach God's word. Why? Because it is the word of God that is living and active, that has power to penetrate our hearts and transform our hearts. So he must not be a recent convert. It also says in verse 7, he must be well thought by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So what the Bible is saying here is that a pastor should display these type of qualities First of all, within his personal life. Number two, within his marriage. Number three, within his family. Number four, within the church. Number five, within society. Even with non-believers, outsiders, he should display these characteristics of Christ and he should faithfully live out his calling as a pastor. So we just spent about 20 minutes talking about what it means to be a pastor. And some of you guys are thinking, why in the world am I sitting through this? Because maybe I'm never going to be a pastor. Uh, I'm not interested in learning what it means to be an elder or an overseer or leader of the church. But I think here's where it gets really interesting. We said that one of the most primary responsibilities for a pastor is that a pastor would be an example for all Christians for the local church. In other words, the congregation has a responsibility, number one, to pray for the pastor so that the pastor will live up to this calling 
that the pastor will demonstrate a life that's worthy of the gospel, a life that's following Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 17 actually says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. Those are strong languages for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to, to give in an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So the command that's given to the entire congregation is to obey the leaders, submit to them, why? Because they are watching over your soul. The word of God is being declared through them, and that means something. And they are responsible for giving an account for your soul before God. And this is the scary thought that, uh, that about being a pastor. This is one thing that, that, that scares me. Um, the fact that, that when I stand before the Lord, the Bible makes it very clear that I'm not just giving an account for my own life. As a pastor, I have to give an account for the people that God entrusted me with, the, 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 the sheep that God allowed me to shepherd. And so there's this incredible responsibility for a pastor to lead an example, not just through words, through example. And if you see this list, it is almost impossible. Actually, it is impossible to achieve every single thing here without the grace of God, without the Spirit of God empowering us. So I humbly ask you to pray on a daily basis, diligently, for your leaders, the leaders of this church, for the pastors who are declaring the word of God so that they would faithfully declare God's word and live a life that, that exemplifies the, the life of Christ. The second thing I want us to do is not only pray, but imitate, imitate the leadership that you see within the church. And this is not just something that I'm coming up with because I think my life is worthy of imitation. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So I'm not saying that my life is so perfect that it's worthy of imitation. What I'm saying to you is this. My ultimate goal as a pastor is to imitate Jesus Christ. My ultimate goal as a pastor is to follow Jesus faithfully following his word, displaying the characteristics of Christ in my own life. And so as I am pursuing Jesus Christ, I hope that that will be a model, an example that you can follow. Does this mean I'm perfect? Absolutely not. Even the fact that I'm dependent on Jesus, hopefully that would be an example for you as well and how you ought to live out your holiness, how you ought to pursue a godly life. I don't think Paul says, be imitators of me because he's so proud about his life. I think the confidence that he has is that my ultimate goal in life is I'm going to do everything in my power and my ability with my will to follow Jesus Christ. And so as I'm making that effort, I want you to make that same effort by following my example. My example is basically following the example of Jesus Christ. And lastly, I think one thing I want to share, especially for the men here, and maybe you're young and you think this doesn't apply to you, but uh, the men who one day will become uh, the leader of the household, the head of the household, I think one reason why God allows this biblical leadership within the local church, within the family of God, is so that you can see a clear picture of what it looks like to lead with love and sacrifice, to lead in a way that you're not taking advantage of your family, but you are actually serving your family by loving them, by caring for them, by displaying godly characters, by, by, by preaching God's word and teaching God's word in a Deuteronomy 6 type of way. God is giving you a clear picture of how to be a biblical leader within your household. And so I encourage you 
to take this passage and apply it to your own life. For everyone else, again, your calling is to imitate these leaders, which is basically to imitate Christ. And the last good news is the fact that this, as much as it's a list for elders and teachers and pastors, it's actually a list that tells us who Christ is in our life. Because Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. And he is a good shepherd who's not going to leave you. He's going to lay down his life for you. He actually laid down his life for you on the cross. He's the one who's going to protect you till the very end, care for you, going to lead you to green pastures in a Psalm 23 type of way. He's the one who oversees your life. He's the one who's going to lead you and care for you, not take advantage of you like other leaders of this world would, but he's going to display godly characters. And what he says is simply this, follow my example. Follow who I am. Embrace who I am. And as you follow my leadership, also trust in the authority that I have given to these leaders, these men who are set apart to be an example for Christ. And as you do so, follow the life of Christ and, the, and display the image of Christ for the world so that they can know one day that God is real, that he is worthy all worship, that Jesus died for their sins, and they too can enjoy the gift of salvation. So let's imitate Christ all together according to God's design. Amen? Let's pray.